Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll read a very familiar verse that you have heard quoted so very oft. But I want us to think about it tonight in a very definite way. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're reading verse number 8. I think we should back up and read verse 7 as well as verse 8. There's such great comfort in verse 7 as well. The scripture says, verse 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now that'll be, that'll put a shout in your soul. That the Lord cares for us. Indeed, He does. And has invited us to cast all of our care, all of our anxiety, all of our worry, all of our fear on Him. The verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The Lord's help, I want to talk to you tonight on what I entitle simply, Just Like the Devil. Just Like the Devil. The word adversary in verse 8 simply means one who is against. One who is against. And certainly we know that Satan is against everything that our Lord stands for and everything that you and I as a believer hold dear to our hearts. He is against humankind. He is against mankind who was made, created in the image of God. Your adversary, the devil. The word devil comes from two words actually made up of the word dia and balo. The word dia meaning through and the word balo meaning, uh, meaning to cast. So what we have originally and basically in the word and the name devil is one who casts through. Uh, one who falsely accuses and divides people without any reason. An accuser because... He accused and slandered God originally in the garden. The devil still slanders God by false and blasphemous suggestions. And because he is also the accuser of the brethren before God. As is revealed in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 and 10. He is known as the accuser of the brethren. In the New Testament, Satan is referred to as Diabolos some 38 times from which we get the word devil. The name Satan is used 34 times in the New Testament. So we're well acquainted with the fact that the Bible teaches us about a personal, a personality known as the devil. Contrary to what the liberal theologians have tried to cram down our throats and make us believe that there is no such person as the devil. They say if you just remove the letter D, you have what it's all about, evil. 
But I want to ask you where evil comes from. It comes from a twofold source. It comes from Satan, but it also comes from the sinful nature of man. And so then the Lord is talking to us about the devil, Satan. Now, there are many things that are just like the devil. For example, in the very first place of three things that I want to say to you, the devil attempts to create doubt. He attempts to create doubt. Now, if you're acquainted with the record in the book of Genesis, you're well aware that that was the chief tool that Satan used against our original parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. He cast doubt upon what God had said and declared. For example, he said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? Question mark. And so the devil seeks to and attempts to create doubt in three particular areas. Number one, he seeks to create doubt concerning the Bible. And he's done a mighty masterful job in doing that in this modern day of ours. One of the chief means that he uses is to confuse people as to the Word of God. Could I say it like this? Which Bible? People come to me all across this country. I'm in meetings. They say, Preacher, what are we to believe? One version says this. Another translation says this. What are we to believe? What is the Bible and what does the Bible have to say? One of the chief perverters of man's confidence in the Bible is in a modern translation known as the New International Version of the Scripture. I remind you to begin with that on that board of translators, if you want to call them that, were two avowed homosexuals. And if you are acquainted with any of the reading of the New International Version, you can see how they soft-pedal anything that has to do with sexual perversion. But that's not all. The Bible says in Jeremiah 23 and verse 26, or verse 36, you have perverted the words of the living God. Webster defines pervert as to cause to turn aside or away from what is good or the second definition, to twist the meaning or sense of, to twist the meaning or the sense of. That's what we call misinterpretation. And that's what these men have done. The New International Version, for example, and I could jump on a whole bunch of others, but I think this will suffice to show you how the devil seeks to create doubt concerning the Word of God. The NIV perverts the deity of Jesus Christ. It plays down the deity of our Savior. That is, that he was God manifest in the flesh. Our old reliable, reliable King James Version plainly says 
in 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh. The NIV reads, He appeared in a body. Well, that just kind of plays down what the Bible is trying to say. Everybody has appeared in a body. You appeared in a body. I appeared in a body. But the scripture would have us to understand that our Lord came down and was manifest in the flesh. The New International Version also perverts the Bible's teaching concerning the virgin birth of our Lord. From Luke chapter 2 and verse 33, our Bible that we honor here and preach from and teach from says, and Joseph and his, uh, uh, the King James Bible reads, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. The NIV reads, and I quote, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, to a person ignorant of what the Bible teaches, they'd say, so what? But I want you to understand that Joseph was not the father of Jesus. The scripture reveals that he was born and conceived, rather, of the Holy Ghost. Not only that, but the NIV removes the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a lot of churches today who have absolutely excluded any hymn that says anything about the blood of Jesus Christ. Believe that or not. Colossians 1.14 says in our Bible, In whom we have redemption through His blood even the forgiveness of sins. The NIV reads, and I quote, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now you tell me what's left out. Anybody listening? The blood. Through his blood. I mean absolutely omitted from this particular passage of Scripture. What can wash away my sins we sing? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The NIV perverts John 3.16. John 3.16 in the NIV, the NIV reads, and I quote, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Well, you say, what's wrong with that? Simply, Jesus was not the one and only Son of of God. Adam is called a son of God. In Luke, uh, are also in uh, Job 3, 1 and verse 6, there is the reference to uh, the sons of God. You and I who are believers on the Lord Jesus Christ are also in Philippians 2 verse 15, we are called sons of God. So what I want you to see is that the liberal theologians and translators, and I hesitate to even call them that, of this perverted version of the Scripture indeed play down the most essential and cardinal doctrines that we hold dear to our hearts as Bible-believing Christians. 
the NIV regarding sexual perversion says, Romans 1, 26 through, 30, through 32, uh, talks about the fruits of sowing the truth of God into a lie. Verses 26 and 27 says, For this cause, verse 25, for changing the truth of God into a lie, God gave them all up unto vile affection. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. Now that's what we read in our Bible. But yet again, uh, these characters who are part of the, uh, part of the uh, uh, translation of this uh, exploded literally into the mainstream. Legislation, by the way, is pending in many states to make same-sex marriages legal. Books such as Heather Has Two Mommies and Daddies, promoting homosexuality in our schools. According to the Washington Post, bisexuality and homosexuality are, quote, the end thing, unquote, in our public schools. And even churches are now welcoming homosexuals and are even ordaining them to the ministry. No wonder we have a perverted Bible in the NIV that would give these folks somehow a little bit of, uh, well, a little bit of ease. A literary critic, critic on the NIV translation was homosexual author Dr. Virginia Molencott. An Episcopal witness, she admits, quote, my lesbianism has always been a part of me. To no surprise, sodomite, the word sodomite, is completely removed from the NIV. And of course, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where the scripture says effeminate nor abusers of themselves or mankind Mankind that is replaced with a non-offensive term, no male prostitutes or homosexual offenders. Notice the NIV in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 does not condemn homosexuals or the act of homosexuality, but only homosexual offenders. That's not what the Bible says at all. I mean, it just, I mean, it just points out the perverted person and God's judgment rests upon them. Well, I, I don't have time to give you all of this, uh, but uh, uh, yes, I think I ought to give you this. In Isaiah 14 and verse 14, reveals Satan's grandest desire. He said, I will be like the Most High, and with a little subtle perversion, the NIV in Isaiah 14, 12, grants Satan's wish. Now listen. Isaiah 14, 12 reads in our Bible, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Now listen carefully. The NIV perversion reads, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. The NIV changed Lucifer to 
the morning star. If you know your Bible, you know that our Lord Jesus is referred to as the morning star. And yet again, these perverters of holy writ have caused us to think that Satan is the morning star. I don't think anything could be more clearly and blatantly uh, blasphemous uh, when you have a perversion like that. In Isaiah 14, 15, our Bible condemns Lucifer to hell. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. The NIV does not condemn Lucifer to hell. The NIV reads, but you are brought down to the grave. Well, we're all going to go to the grave. And yet, I don't understand why the NIV don't put the devil where he belongs in hell in the first place. Do you? I don't understand that. Are y'all, are y'all with me? I'm going to look up here now. Some of you looking like you've been hit in the head with a two before. All right, stay with me. The NIV removes and perverts the place of hell. The word hell occurs some 31 times in the Old Testament in the King James Bible. In the Old Testament of the NIV, it occurs, would you want to guess how many times? Zero. Not one mention of hell in the Old Testament in the NIV. No wonder this worldly crowd can boy they swallow that up. They feel comfortable with that. You don't talk about hell anymore, you know, which is the grave. Well, let me go on down. Uh, well, I can't. Uh, I don't have. I don't have time to deal with this. Other than to tell you that the NIV takes away sixty-four thousand five hundred and seventy-six words that you find in the reliable translation of the authorized version. That's enough to tell me, bud, that there's something up the creek. And uh, I'll tell you this, now I'm not what some have called the cause of Dr. Peter Ruckman, whom I know, they call him King James only, I'm not in that crowd, but I want you to know I'm not in any other crowd. I believe that we hold in our hand, in the authorized version, God's preserved word for the English-speaking world. I believe that, and we hold to that. Make no apology for it. So first of all, the devil attempts to create doubt concerning the Bible. He also attempts to create doubt in the believer's life regarding his salvation. In other words, the devil comes along and says, Oh, you don't mean to tell me you think you're saved. It's because you repented of your sin and asked Jesus in your heart and you're trusting him. And the devil comes along and casts doubt on the reality of our profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when in truth the Lord Jesus said, He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So the devil comes along and said, Did, did, did he really mean what he said? When he said, If a man will call on the name of the Lord, he'll be saved. That if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, God raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The devil comes along to create an attempt to create doubt and says, are you really sure that's all? And many a person somehow doesn't believe that, even if not in words and action. They feel like they've got to do something else. They've got to be baptized. They've got to take the sacrament. They've got to take 
observe the mass. They've got to be a member of a certain church. We're saved by God's grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, uh, the devil wants to create doubt concerning the body. The Bible, the believer, the body. And I refer to the body in reference to the church. We are uh, referred to as that in the, in the New Testament. We are members one of another. We are part of the body of Christ. The moment you believe, and I believe in the Lord Jesus, I am placed into the body of Christ by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The very moment we believe, we are placed by him into that body. But the devil comes along and he tries to create doubt about the church. Is it really necessary, he said? fellow said to me on the streets of a town up in, up in Kentucky, I struck up a conversation with him, and I said, Sir, are you, are you saved? Are you a Christian? He said, Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, Where do you go to church? Oh, he said, I don't go. And I said, Yet you're a Christian, and you don't even go. No, he said, I don't even belong to church. You know how strange it is for a person to claim to be saved and not be a part of the local assembly of born-again believers. That's like a boxer saying, oh, I love boxing, but I hate the ring. It's like a tennis player saying, I like to play tennis, but I hate the court. You know, the truth is, if a person loves Jesus Christ, I cannot help but believe the Lord's Spirit will put in his heart a love for the church that our Lord gave himself for. And yet we have a lot of people all over the county, thousands of them. You ask them on the street tomorrow, are you a Christian? Oh, yes. Where do you go to church? Well, I don't go. Uh, I'm not a member of a church. I believe if you're saved, you ought to be a part of a Bible-believing church. And furthermore, I believe you ought to be faithful to a Bible-believing church. I believe you ought to be a part of that. I feel sorry. I really do. I feel sorry for people on this day when our country is in such dire need of prayer and support and people can lay out, play golf, go deer hunting. God help us. I can't understand that. And yet claiming to be a child of God. I don't understand that. It's a mystery to me. I believe of all the places we ought to want to be in a time of crisis in this country, we ought to want to be in the presence of God and of God's people and at the altar of prayer pouring our heart out to God. I don't think we really realize as a nation what danger we're in. Already our leaders are talking about the possibility of the terrorists having nuclear weapons in a suitcase. There's the threat of biological and chemical warfare. Do you realize that a terrorist can put only a drop of chemical, biological substance in our drinking water and everybody in this county would be sick, maybe die? I want to tell you, the only hand that protects us is the hand of God, folks. And we need to recognize him and rely on him and be faithful to him that God not lift the umbrella of protection that he has had over this country for years. We've never had anything like this in America. And yet I fear that by all indication we've not 
seen or heard the last of it. Well, people would say, well, I can be saved and not go to church that Friday. You can be married and never go home. You know, if I believe a fellow's saved, he'll want to be in God's house. Not only that, but the devil, just like the devil, not only attempts to create doubt, but he attempts to create division, even in a, in a, in a local church. That's one of the devil's chief objectives. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Now, Abe Lincoln didn't say that. The Lord Jesus said that. Abe barred it from him. But the whole truth is, that is the truth. And yet so many, so many are, are not in control of their tongue. We say harmful and hurtful things, unfounded things, things that we don't really know about. We'll talk about situations in the lives of other people and we don't know turkey about what they're going through. One thing that will be to our advantage and our blessing of God is to learn to keep our mouth shut. Oh, you say, I'm just telling them that so they can pray. Now, baloney. The whole story is we just, we thrive on, on, on telling tales about other people. We don't even stop long enough to ask them, ask that person that we're talking about, is this true? Is this so? We talk about sometimes divisions that come in families or marriage. We don't know what those folks have gone through. And we need to recognize that this tongue is a member that is set on fire of hell and the devil will use the tongue in gossip as well as in griping to bring to thee. I like the rule old Dr. Bob Jones Senior used to have when I was a student back in the 50s. And that rule was, I don't know if it's still there or not, no griping tolerated. That ought to be a rule in our family. No griping. I never heard so many griping, growling people in my life all around this country. Always griping about something. Gripe about the weather. Gripe about the traffic. Gripe about this. Gripe about that. Oh, listen, folks, if we'd start praying and becoming godly instead of gripers, we'd have a whole lot better spirit, and God could do a whole lot more for us. Aren't you sorry you came tonight? Paul said in Ephesians 4 and verse 30, he said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's where God can work. When there is a unity among God's people. Now, you may not like the way somebody parts their hair. You may not like the way they do business, but keep it to your, could I say it in our language? Keep it to your cotton picking self. Y'all understand that kind of talk? I mean, just keep it to yourself. But we want to gripe about who did this, growl about who did that, who's not doing this. And yet, we're not willing to get in there and do anything ourselves. You're welcome. Let me move on down and you'll find that the devil attempts as well to create desperation. The word despair or desperation refers to hopelessness. The devil tries to do that. To bring about in our hearts and our minds, our thinking, a, a, a sense of hope, 
hopelessness. Paul was often, he said, in despair, but he said, I'm not down. He said, I was in despair, but didn't stay down there. A lot of things would call us, cause us momentarily to have that sense of hopelessness. And yet the devil would create that sense of desperation by suggesting failure, failure on the part of God, failure on the promises of God. God's made his promise. And I want to tell you, folks, when God makes a promise, you can count on it. He's not going to fail. Look, if you will, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 32. Luke chapter 23 and verse 32. Uh, verse 32, I think that's the reference I got here. Sometimes I can't even read bone right, and I shake so bad. Luke 23, it's not 23, it's 22. Sometimes I have to have Pat to even sign my checks. I can't sign them, and I don't write checks much. <laughs> so don't come ask me to write your check. <laughs> Let's see if I've got to write one. Luke 23. And uh, verse 32, let me see if I've got it here. No, the, or it's 22. Look at 22 and verse 33. All right. I don't know if I got it yet or not. All right, I can't even read that, Lord help Y'all pray for me. I can't read that. I can't read what I've got here. You bring my magnifying glass. I have to use one every once in a while. All right. But I have prayed for thee, verse 32 says, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, sometimes we think our faith's going to fail, and the Lord said, don't worry, I've been praying for you. Aren't you glad of that? The Lord prayed for it. Wouldn't you rather have Jesus praying for you than you would have your preacher praying for you? I had, I'm telling you. Uh, the Lord Jesus prays for us, and listen, he's one whose prayer is never unanswered. He prays for us. He always gets his prayer through. Look in Lamentation, chapter 3, and verse, 20, uh, verse number 22, I think. Lamentation, that's right after Jeremiah, Lord help us. All right, Jeremiah, chapter 3, and verse number, uh, what did I say right after Ecclesiastes, isn't it? What did I say? Boy, I can't only see, I can't even talk. All right, I'm going to have to quit soon enough. Soon enough. All right. Lamentation. Let me see if I can find it. I can't even find lamentation. Boy, y'all y'all got a terrible preacher, I'm telling you. Right? He can't even find Where is it? What page is it? You don't have a Scofield Bible. Uh, hey, what is it? Good. I'm glad we've got some Scofielers in here. All right. 833. Is it? I thought it was after Jeremiah. All right. Chapter 3 of Lamentation and verse number 22. Here we go. Now we, we get in business now. Chapter 3 and verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassion, look at this, fail not. They'll try to make you think the Lord doesn't love you, that he doesn't care for you, 
But listen, he'll try to make you believe that. And he suggests failure on the part of our blessed Lord. One other, look to Joshua. Look to Joshua chapter 23 and verse 14. All right? Joshua chapter uh, 23 and verse 14. These are just some verses I jotted down here that I felt like the Lord wanted me to share with you. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 14. The Lord says this, And behold, this day, this is Joshua talking, last days of his life. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Isn't that great? The Lord said, you don't have to worry. Nothing failed. Whatever God promises, he's going to keep his end of the bargain. Not only that, but the devil tries to create desperation, not only through suggesting failure, but suggesting that the Lord will forsake us. In other words, he says, oh yeah, you, you, you've gotten old now, and you're not as up on it as you used to be, and God just forgotten all about you. Oh no. He doesn't forsake his own. He said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. In the same book of Joshua, chapter 1 and verse number 5, a precious verse. And the Lord says this to Joshua, chapter 1 and verse number 5, and he declares, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of the life as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. But the devil comes along and he suggests, God's going to forsake you now. You might as well know it. He's going he's to move off from you. But the Lord said, I'll not forsake you. Not only that, but he sends fear. The devil sends fear, consumes us with fear. But the scripture said, God is not the author of that fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of authority, of love, and of a sound mind. The devil also suggests that so much that you read in the Bible is fraudulent. It's a fraud. The fact of the miracle of his birth, the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, fact of his resurrection, the fact of his second coming, these are fraudulent things, the devil said. You can't depend on that. And yet again, I tell you, the devil may suggest these things in order to create desperation, to make us hopeless, but all we're not. Now, I want to ask you to do something when you get home tonight. You look in your Bible, don't do it now, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, and read verse 1 through verse 19. What an encouraging passage that is. As Jehoshaphat and the people of God were faced with overwhelming enemies, the Lord showed them, and did provide and protect them. Now, don't read that now, for heaven's sake. Let's do it. I'm about through. Let me say finally, in the final place, he achieves destruction. When the devil indeed causes us to doubt and causes division, 
and brings us into a spirit and attitude of desperation. He'll bring us to destruction. The devil would seek to destroy. Jesus said he is a murderer from the beginning. He said the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill. Oh, that's his purpose, and to destroy. The devil seeks to destroy. He would like to destroy this very nation of ours. We have been a bastion of, of Christianity for centuries. And the devil would delight in nothing more than just to cause it to crumble. And I'll tell you, the great fear and the great danger we face is not from without and not from terrors. But our great danger is our forgetting God, going away from Him, and ignoring His command, and, 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 and casting aside His Word. Our protection is not in military might, not in the arm of the flesh, not in horses and chariots, but in the Lord God. He is our hope. They will bow for prayer. Father, there are some perhaps here tonight who are trusting in their own good self to get them to heaven. Lord, I pray tonight that through the Word of God, men and women will realize that we face a real enemy. The one behind all that's transpired in our country of recent days, Lord, is not been loved the devil behind the whole scheme. And I pray that you'll help us realize that we fight and we war not against principalities, powers, but against rulers of the darkness of this world. Our great enemy is Satan. But we thank you we have a safe refuge in Jesus. And I pray if there's one person here tonight who doesn't know you, oh, what a tragedy. For them to know and have a knowledge of the Savior, and yet to have never had an experience of grace and salvation in their heart. To perish and to die. And to go into eternal hell, eternal destruction. And they come tonight crushed by the holiness of the word of God. Realizing how helpless we are to save ourselves, to keep ourselves, to even protect ourselves. Give us guidance as individuals and as a nation and as a church. May, Lord, we give ourselves voluntarily to serve you in this place where there is a place that we can serve you, may we do it. And we know, Lord, everybody can't be a Sunday school teacher or an officer in this church. But the greater job and the more honorable place is for every one of us to witness, to tell others of Jesus Christ. Lord, some of us have friends that we go, we're with every day of the week out there on the school campus, down the place of business. We never speak of you. Lord, convict us and forgive us and help us that we'll be a faithful witness for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.